Superheroes, movies, animation, comics, and much, much more. I am your host, Josh Scar, coming to you from a pre-recorded location uh, where we are on the planet Hoth, because it is minus mm-hmm. 32 degrees Fahrenheit today, and it is getting colder. <laughs> Joining me from the planet Hoth is Alex. Alex, how you doing? How are your new teeth treating you? Uh, well, my human teeth are fantastic. The main problem is that tauntaun that i was supposed to crawl inside of to stay warm died <laughs> isn't it supposed well, to be alive that... <laughs> first <laughs> so did you get a pre-dead tauntaun or was it did it already die and you just forgot to crawl into it i don't know i was just i woke up from the anesthesia and i had beautiful new teeth and then i saw the white in the cold and it's been miserable but i have to i have to know in a time like this Will you and Elitas save us with your snowblower? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think my snowblower can save us from this kind of cold uh, as much as I, I would like to. The the snowblower only throws it. It doesn't actually make anything warm besides oh. its own engine. Ah, oh, damn. I was hoping we could huddle inside of it for safety. Yeah, no, my snowblower sucks too because like <laughs> it makes me just smell like exhaust fumes. <laughs> it's so damn cold. It, it is very cold. I usually keep my house at like a balmy, like 65, 66, because we like it a little cooler. We'll wear sweaters and sweatpants around the house, but not today. No, we, we've got the thermostat up to like 72, I think. And I'm, oh, wow. I'm like on the verge of sweating, but I'm like, it's better than the alternative because if it goes below 72, the house is freezing. I don't know why. Yeah, we have a, a checklist that my wife suggested next to our thermostat which is have you put on socks <laughs> have you put on us have you put on a second layer are the cats cold <laughs> <laughs> and if the other cats are cold thermostat goes up <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to tell if my cats are cold other than like if they let us boop their nose or anything like that and it, like the nose is freezing because they're usually just huddled up on a blanket somewhere they they don't they, they don't like complain to us too much besides like their bowl is empty yeah we um yesterday i pulled the we have a giant down comforter we only pull out for the depths of winter like now and i put it on the bed to kind of like air out a little bit because it's been all nicely folded in the closet just to get any funk off of it 20 minutes later coming to the room two of the cats are curled up on it are curled up on it and it's draped over the headboard so it's only like maybe a foot a foot strip of it (laughs) and we're like how the hell did you know did you know, do you have some kind of sense of innate sense within you that's like, this is warmth. I must lay upon this. I must absorb. This. <laughs> <laughs> they they must have some kind of sense. That reminds me, there's an episode of House where they think this cat is able to like predict someone's death and they don't come to the logical conclusion. They're like, oh, we're putting heated blankets on their feet. And the cat <laughs> just comes and snuggles them. <laughs> It's a good episode. It's got um, oh, I'm forgetting her name. She plays Scott's ex-wife in Ant Man, and she's the mm. mom in Jurassic World. Yeah, uh, she plays the the nurse who's like the cat chose me. I'm 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 supposed to die. <laughs> and House is like, you're an idiot. <laughs> the cat wanted to join you because you had a heated blanket. <laughs> so Alex, we're I'm busting out a thing here that hasn't been busted out in a while. 
it is time for a Scar Wars because oh. social media is pissing me off and not just because it's like social media like that's I can live with that at this point like it's it's white noise which maybe for some of that stuff it shouldn't be but I was pre-scheduling some announcements and uh episode uh releases for Facebook our our Facebook is pretty bland because I don't like go to pages I don't we we follow people we follow studios and stuff on Facebook, but the algorithm on Facebook is so jacked up that like I don't use it for anything other than pushing our own shit. And something caught my eye that I just was like, okay, let's see what this is. And it was one of those like, oh, fan theory, blah, 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 blah. And they're usually dumb and stupid. And I've been extraordinarily over fan theories since The Last Jedi. Like the whole speculation, fan theories, and everything, like they've they've gone out of completely out of proportion. And I know they're just clickbait articles at this point where Screen Rant will just scroll through Reddit and find like the most controversial fan theory and roll with it so that they can get engagement and anger clicks. But this one, like it, it's a, a group page for Disney stuff because everything's listening and they know I'm a Disney adult. So they're like, hey, Disney. And I saw two fan theories that just pissed me off because it just reinforces the idea that media literacy is dead. So the first yep. one that I had was Mirabelle did get a gift in Encanto because she can communicate with the house and she can do all sorts of things with the house. Fucking no. <laughs> Watch the fucking movie because you figure out pretty easily that Mirabelle has a relationship with the Casita because she has no gift. She yeah. has to develop a relationship with the house because everyone else in the family has a gift. They're off doing things, taking care of the village and Mirabelle's trying to do stuff for the family. And part of doing that for the family is working with the Casita and doing stuff for the family. Be exactly. She has a symbiotic relationship with the house because she has no gift. And the house is like, uh, training her, we'll say. I, w I don't want to say grooming her because grooming has become <laughs> such a negative connotation here. But the house is like training her and getting her prepared to become the next head of the household. The house saw the, the traits that she had in her were similar to Abuela's at when they created the Encanto. Mm -hmm. And in this instance, they're like, oh no, she has a gift. She can communicate with the house and do all the, she's, she works so well with that. Yeah, because she had to fucking do it. Yeah. Everyone else takes the house for granted because of their gifts and what they're already preoccupied doing. Mirabelle can appreciate the house because she has no extraordinary gift beyond who she is. That is her gift is who she is. Exactly. Yeah. They, they fucking say it in the last song. The miracle is you. Exactly. There's nothing. Ex it's not that big of an onion. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine as it is. You don't need to go and make a bigger thing out of it than it is. And because I spent 10 seconds looking at this and steaming at it, <laughs> I scroll down a little bit further and Facebook's like, oh, you like that? Here's more of this from that channel. Uh -oh. And this one was like, oh, hey, by the way, did you know Moana died? Really? Yeah. When this when she asks the ocean for help and mm -hmm. the ocean sends her to Maui's island, she died and became a demigod. That's why she can survive 
a fall into Lalo Tai, and that's why she can do all these amazing things like take on a bunch of coconut monsters and just be awesome. It's not the fact that, you know, she grew up on a, a, a tropical island and has spent her entire life just being awesome because the first thing we see her do as an adult once the the welcome song is done is jump 30 feet from a fucking post to the ground <laughs> doing parkour. <laughs> oh, that the visual cue that that would break anyone's leg. And she's just like <laughs> spider Manning down it. But no, she she has to go off and she she died and became a demigod, even mm. though that completely undermines the story and the point of the movie, which even the movie does, because the entire time they're kind of building up Maui to become a human again and like right. reacclimate himself to be with the humans and the mortals. But because he's the genie, he can't do that. The genie has to go off and go have fantastical adventures elsewhere, despite being free, but still being magical. Mm hmm. So she died. That does make a lot of sense. I mean, when you think about it, the reason why she can do all that stuff is not because of like her grandma's spirit helping her or the, or the ocean literally throwing her back into the boat or stuff like that. It's that she's dead. Oh, and she's a demigod. Yeah. The gods, she, she was rebirthed through Tafiti's heart or something as a demigod. Like, no, again, it's a Disney movie. The onion is not that thick. <laughs> It's not attack on Titan, people. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the whole point is media literacy is dead. Like, yeah, people can movies are art. You can take what you want out of them, but you also have to take what the movie gives you. And in mm -hmm. this case, in these two specific scenarios, these are just adults who need more depth than something that is not that deep. Yeah. And more power to you if you think that's a more interesting theory but it's not right and stop no. pushing it like it is. And that's what these Facebook groups are all about because among other things, like my mother-in-law who is also really big into Disney and she also loves Bluey. She babysits my kids for us and she has become obsessed with Bluey. So she's even in like a Facebook group and this Facebook group is pushing this idea, which I am, I am pro LGBTQIA plus. I am pro equal rights, but this Facebook page is trying to push this like fan Wikipedia page and this fan project of like, let's see what Bluey and Bingo are like grown up because we want to see Bingo marry her best friend, Lila. And we want to see all these other ship moments. And it's like, can we just let the kids show be a kid show? If Bingo and Lila and the creators want her to be gay, awesome. But they're also supposed to be five years old. We don't need to push any kind of relationship status on anything they're doing. They're just kids having fun in a fictional world. There are fictional do anthropomorphic dog people having fun in a fictional world. Just let it be that and take the moral message that each episode brings. Because Bluey is a beautiful show. Yeah. And again, if if they're alluding to you are born gay, which you are great, but let the show tell you that don't push it because right. there's this there's this whole thing that I've seen on Twitter right now, too, where this one person has become for kind of infamous and famous. <laughs> <laughs> he's infamous. <laughs> he's so famous. He's infamous. Wow. 
the infamous. <laughs> I've, I've, uh, I've derailed myself. Uh, but this, this one person has become pretty infamous that they are so sure that Taylor Swift is at very, at the very least bisexual, right? Cl- like closeted that they're harassing Taylor Swift online, or I don't maybe they're even saying that they're a, a they, them, that Taylor Swift is a, a they, them like non-binary. I don't know, but this person is like harassing Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift has said like, I'm she, her, I, I am dating men. I have a history of dating men. And just because this lunatic, like this is me now um, I'm editorializing, but like just because this person has decided to decipher a code that doesn't exist in Taylor Swift songs, they've decided that Taylor Swift is non-binary and bisexual and it's ridiculous. And like, that's not even media literacy. Like that's just me going off on a tangent that came to mind, but like what things just be as they are sometimes like we don't need to dig for deeper meaning on some things. Yeah. So the bluey thing kind of reminds me of at least wait till the show is over because there um, Calvin Hobbes is one of my favorite cartoons. Uh, the, the creator famously didn't allow like TV shows really merchandising or anything for it. And so fans and it's been over for almost 30 years now, the fans have done kind of like little sweet little tributes and ideas, you know, like, oh, what if Calvin and Susie got married with Hobbes then go to their kid and stuff like that? That's kind of cute, you know? you know? Okay, maybe, you know, Calvin marries his next door neighbor kind of thing. You know, he doesn't actually hate her, even though he picks on her and throws snowballs at her face and stuff. But it's done. It's over. The story's finished. If you want to wait for Bluey to be over, for the story to be, the serialized story to end, and then, you know, start shipping characters as adults or whatever. Okay, fine. But to have an agenda where you're hoping, and that's what it is. A lot of it is projection and hope that you want your fan theory to be correct, that you want the creators to acknowledge what you've done and that you were right all along and that kind of bullshit. And that's where the last Jedi really got annoying for me too. Like people were unable to accept what the product was because they had spent two years trying to predict and theorize what was going to happen. And they're like, well, my, my idea was better. This was bullshit. And again, if you think you could have done better, cool, but it's not what we got. And you have to judge something based on what we got, not what you thought would have been better, which I know I'm guilty of. We talk about it all Mm -hmm. the time in our reviews where I, I say like, I would have preferred to see this, but I try to judge a movie based on the merits because I want them all to be good. I want them all to be what everyone can enjoy, but you also have to kind of, (laughs) kind of going against myself here for a second. You have to take what the movie is trying to tell you as well, which like, I'm not a last Jedi defender. I don't hate the Luke stuff. I don't think it's great either. I do think the Canto bite stuff is trash. Yeah. Like I don't care that it's supposed to be about like the futility of whatever the whole sequence is just 20 minutes of filler that doesn't need to be there. Like there's a, a five minute animal cruelty subplot built in there as well. And it like, why, why is that needed here right now in this movie? Why couldn't it have been built into something different within the movie if you really wanted to go into something about animal cruelty? Right. So what you're saying is 
Facebook needs to shut down fan pages. I am for this. <laughs> I am I am all for it as well. <laughs> Except for the Weekly Planet one. I don't know if that's I think that's an official group page. I don't think it's a fan page. So yeah, <laughs> fan pages can go go right to fucking hell. They can go to the seventh circle and meet up with Dante and talk about dead babies or whatever. <laughs> Scar Wars over. So we're here to talk about Monarch <laughs> and the legacy of monsters. We we just got to the finale of Apple TV Plus's not a sponsor, but could be uh, Monarch Legacy of Monsters. It's a prequel series to Godzilla versus Kong, Godzilla X Kong, uh, even prequel to Godzilla King of the Monsters. But it's a sequel to 2014's Godzilla. And or is I'm going to come right out and say it. I 75 percent of the show is not a fan of. Oh, um, give me that dueling timeline. But we're going to we're going to say full spoilers here for Godz- uh, Monarch Legacy of Monsters. Give me the dual timeline. Give me the lost thing with Leland Shaw and like the founding of Monarch and focus more on Kurt Russell as grown up Leland Shaw, which beautiful casting with. Oh, amazing. Um, the, the two Russells, um, Wyatt Russell, Kurt's son and Kurt Russell playing elder like beautiful concept and great execution mm-hmm. other than the hairline like why it's got a little bit bigger of a hairline than kurt does but yeah overall i think it's it's pretty great and they they both have the same kind of cadence so you 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 can hear it there's not a whole lot of like mimicking going on but like that that was the thing that really hooked me in on the show was the dueling timelines and that's only like 20, 30% of the show. The rest of the show is a, a modern day, like, where's my dad? My dad had a second family thing. Plus there's an extra character that has some other kind of connection to something else happening. And I'm just like, I don't care. I loved the early Monarch stuff with, with not Captain America, not uh John Goodman and the fantastic Kiko, uh, Mari Yamarato. I thought that was amazing. Like, I love that they took a story of things are happening kind of like during World War II, and they touched a little bit on the sexism and racism that a a Japanese woman wanting to explore what could be monsters in, like, in a post imperial Japan with the American, you know, military being there. I thought that that was great. I even loved that they was, I think episode six or seven, suddenly you find out she has a child. I thought that I was picturing that she eventually had a child that was either maybe secretly, secretly Lee Lee Shaw's or was actually John Goodman's. Cause they kind of played that up. I love that storyline, but it turns out that she actually had a husband who died during the, during the air bombings. And so she's been, it, as she said, something along the lines of, it's already bad that I'm a woman and I'm Japanese and now I'm a, and now I'm a single mother. So that's why I didn't tell anybody. I wanted to tell you and I wanted to tell you and Bill, Bill and you and Shaw for a while, but I couldn't. And now you found that out. And then I love that Bill Shaw just immediately, sorry, Bill Randall is just immediately cool. I'll be here for you. And they don't even really acknowledge it. They just apparently got married sometime in the interim and that's, and that's his son. Mm -hmm. It was it was beautiful little moments because they did a little bit of will they won't they. And I love that they didn't do like a secret affair thing. It was just, 
Kiko and uh, Lee just, it didn't work out for them. She just, he was not what she needed in that moment, despite him really wanting to be that, that for her. Mm-hmm. But the modern day stuff is. It, it's, it's absolute trash. Like it is so boring. People complain about 2014's Godzilla and not caring about the, the human storyline. And that's the same here. Like I'm fine with doing a monster hunt. And trying to figure out what is this electromagnetic radiation nonsense happening in Alaska and South Africa and all these other places. I am here for it. If you make it interesting. Yeah. In this scenario, we have a young woman. Maybe she's not quite that young. She, I, I, I honestly don't know how old she's supposed to be. She's right. a school teacher and apparently she's a bad person. <laughs> um, she, her, her father has recently been announced dead and she goes to clean out his office in Tokyo, Japan and accidentally walks in on his second family and her half brother and like, okay, interesting. Let's see where this goes. And it it just, the way it's done with how the idea that this is Bill Randa's legacy. This is a, a family lineage of doing stuff with Monarch is stupid because a secret government agency isn't going to just be like, Oh, you're the son of JF, not JFK. That would be a horrible situation here. Um, (laughs) Oh, you're the son of Teddy Roosevelt. You're the son of um, you're, you're the child of this important person that is related to the CIA. Well, now you get to be a CIA agent with no credentials and no training, but maybe you can take some good guesses and we'll be able to move along from there. Like, no, (laughs) it's, it's not yeah. they want to do a national treasure with monsters, but they forget the part to make it fun. Yeah. Part of the thing that really I, I found the modern day storytelling disjointed because I wasn't because I do understand. I mean, they hell the hammer it like the last episode. You know, this is your family's legacy. Um, Kate and Kentaro are the children props to you for remembering their names because the only one I know is May and that's because they say her name like 60,000 times in episode three. Yeah. They're the children of, of Kiko's son, whose name I suddenly forget. They just call him dad so much. I don't even remember. Hiroshi. Hiroshi. Yes. Yeah. So, and they play with a little bit like apparently because he lost because he lost his mother the very first episode or is the second episode somewhere in there they lost her and I then eventually the third episode yeah and then you do know if you've watched kong skull island you know that uh john goodman's character bill randa he passes away they allude that that uh kurt russell's character lee shaw something happened with him because you should be almost 100 you look great <laughs> he's I'm like yeah well kurt russell's only like 72 so yeah, and that that was like the minute they said that because like my brain was just like yeah Kurt Russell whatever World War Two okay and <laughs> exactly like I'm I'm here for it because I I've, I've dealt with Steve Rogers for the last twenty years of my exactly. life but longer really but the minute they they shone the light on that I was like holy shit yeah he should be like hundred and twenty <laughs> yeah what happened there and it, like the way he plays it off too he's like yeah crazy right. And, yeah, and like, damn it, engaging and charismatic Kurt Russell. Yes, please, more of him. 
they want the modern story to have Hiroshi parallel with his own children in that he apparently has two families, which I hate. I hate that they never really address what the timeline of that is because it seems like Kate should be older, which I think she is. Kate would, Kate would be older and it would make more sense that they had kind of come to America with uh, Kiko had come to America. It would make sense that he found that family first. And then when they acknowledge what happened with Kurt Russell and, and him returning from the other world and he accosted, he accosted that nurse and apparently Hiroshi guilt sleeps, marries her <laughs> and has a second family out of guilt that his surrogate pseudo, uncle. Yeah. Surrogate uncle briefly choked her. That doesn't quite make sense because they're trying to parallel that with Kate being a bad person in that she's dating another school teacher while having an affair and then I know I we've talked about this. I know you don't think it, but I think she's trying to steal her half brother's ex. <laughs> <laughs> Which, like, fine. I I have no problem with it. It's weird, yes. <laughs> but whatever. Like, to each their own. Yeah, but it's as you said. Th- there's nothing really too compelling. There's no really national mis- national treasure thing going with. They just kind of stumble forward from space to space to space, always being behind lee shaw or hiroshi and it really just makes it seem like monarch is just incredibly incompetent which they acknowledge repeatedly monarch is apparently incompetent just likes to sit around and study data and not do shit yeah but it doesn't make for 10 episodes of compelling compelling current timeline tv and they try to do like a fake heel turn where lee is taking over old lee is taking over a monarch station uh, so he can get some kind of info I, i don't I don't even remember half of the plot details from the show because this is one of the shows that like it did not benefit from a week to week because it, it's been 10 weeks since the show started and I've forgotten most of it. I, I do not remember half of the plot details. I remember that Hiroshi, which props to you for remembering his name because his sole identity is I have two families and I'm Bill Randa's son. Yep. In, in, in any sense of the word, like, that 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 is his identity. He has no other impact on this show other mm-hmm. than being the the plot point that drives them forward to continue to find new monsters because he's trying to do something. I don't even remember what he's trying to do. He's just like going to these data points and activating monsters, I guess, which one of them just happens to be Godzilla sleeping in the desert. So we he we finally get some time with him in the last episode. And I looked at my wife and I was like so what is he actually doing? And as I asked her that, like on TV, he said, I'm trying to prove that my parents were right, that there is like a hollow earth. And I'm like, how? By drawing star charts on your window and having the two, f- I, it didn't make sense to me. It, yeah. It's it's a, it's a convoluted mess of nothing Yeah, where they had plenty to go with, with the, the dueling timelines. And I, the legacy of monsters could be that like mm-hmm. you have the founding of Monarch in post-World War II and you can kind of go to the ascension of Monarch and the legacy of monsters. It's it's all about Monarch, which is in the name of the damn show, <laughs> but so, they, they make it more character driven, but they have these archetype characters, which again, how old is Kate? 
Is she in her early thirties? Is she in her early twenties? Is she in her mid twenties? Is she in her mid thirties? I don't fucking know. And they do shit. Like when we find out finally, like why her, why she's so traumatized by Godzilla is because she quote unquote lost her kids. And you're like, Oh damn, she was a mom and she lost kids. And maybe even her, her spouse, her partner, whoever, yeah. And no, she lost a bus full of kids to Godzilla destroying the Golden Gate Bridge, which like, yeah, that's horrible. But it's not as traumatic as losing your child in in quote unquote G Day. It undercuts itself so bad. I, I will say that the reason why that scene to me as a non-parent didn't I didn't buy it is because they never spend more than like 30 seconds in the classroom. If they had shown her in the classroom, her bond with the children and that, you know, obviously losing a bus full of your, of, you know, your students would be horrible, but we, as the audience don't get that connection because we don't see her bonding with them. Instead, that episode is centered around. She kind of has an on and off thing again. She's more bonded with the teacher who she has, who's like, Hey, listen, let's, do this, make this official to which they cut back to then turns out that morning she was actually having an affair with somebody else with a different person. You are not tied into the emotional aspect of the children. You're tied into, Oh, so she's a shitty person. Oh, and the kids died. That's where I didn't like now to give this uh, show a lot of props. I love how strong the female characters are in that the final episode where Hiroshi finally gets some reckoning with it turning out he has a second family in Japan. That scene where he's moving, where he's being, where he's basically moving out of his Japanese family's household. I expected the wife to so just kind of like do the whole thing because she was giving the speech about how Kentaro needs a father, and just because you had these different lives doesn't mean you should lose that. And then she gives him the wedding ring and says, "Don't forget to call him." That was unexpected i'm like damn good on you Mm -hmm. he fucked you over but you still want him to have a presence in the son's life if the son needs it i loved that that was a good defining strong moment that's that's a fantastic point which like i i was so bored in all of it that i didn't even catch into that Hmm. And, and to also go back to kiko I also love that she was such a strong presence. The, the writers could, very could easily had her having an affair with uh, Kurt Russell because who wouldn't? But they made her have the deliberate choice of going, you're not the right person for me. I want Bill because you, my job here is to prove that Titans exist, to continue to have Monarch funded. You're our government overseer, our military overseer for Monarch. Do your goddamn job and make sure that things are running for us with the military. And when he decides to do an emotional reaction of, I'm going to go with you guys to go and try to see if Godzilla's still alive, instead of staying there to do the government funding thing, she's like, okay, we're done. This other person is what I need in terms of Bill Randa. I loved that. Yeah, Bill is an, an intellectual peer for her. Mm-hmm. And whereas Lee is the, he's the fling. He's, he's the hot stuff that, you know, is a short-term sort of fix, but she recognizes long-term potential in Bill. And um, there, there's always like a, a weird tension between all of them. Yes. But also at the same time, you can tell how close they are and they understand each other's relationship with each other. And oh, I, yeah. I think it's, that that's really good stuff in terms of creating drama, but also just fleshing out real people. 
No, no, I, I exactly. Like I, I love the early cast so much because it's a not, it's, it's not a love triangle. It could be, but they, they nip that in the bud. And instead what they have is people who have a mutual interest, but also, as you said, they have a conflict. There's always a little bit of overriding tension either scenes, even Bill and Kiko when they're together, he is a little bit of the hapless kind of like, I have these weird theories thing. And she is kind of guiding a guiding force for him. She chooses to be the, she chooses who she lets in and out of her life. And I really like that to pivot briefly in terms of like how old um, the children are supposed to be. They explain that Kurt Russell, um, well, his, er, his early version, Lee Shaw, his white Russell falls into the portals of the hollow earth. And apparently when you're down there, every day that passes down there is like a year up above. So he spends a week and a week, week and a half. I think he said like 10 days or something like that. Yeah. Somehow gets sucked back through one of the portals and it's been 20 years. And it said distinctly like 1982. And that's when the costing happens. And apparently he Hiroshi has marries that woman out of guilt, which how, how old are the kids supposed to be? <laughs> I don't know. It is 2015. So, I mean, he Kentaro seems like he's supposed to be like maybe 23, 24. Yeah. He's a young up and coming artist and he he's having his first show at some point, like a year prior to the events of G day or even just before G day. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. I, there, there's a weird dynamic of these kids are, I, I thought Kate was a college age kid, kid yeah. for, for most of the show until they're like, Oh no, she's a teacher who had her entire class die on a school bus. Yeah. And that was a year prior. And I'm like, okay. Like the actress is young enough that she could be a Hollywood 18 or she can be a Hollywood 35. Like yeah. she, she is beautiful and you just don't know with Hollywood what they're doing with a person like that. Yeah. And the same thing with Kentaro. He is youthful looking. He's very handsome, but you don't know if he's supposed to be a Hollywood 18 and like a senior in high school, or if he's supposed to be a senior executive at some company as a, a like a wonderkind. And he's like 32. Yeah. The only one of that Trinity that they really pay attention to in terms of really trying to place the age is May, um, who's played by Kiersey Clemens, who I feel bad that they kind of gave her the, the short shift of the storylines there because she is involved with Apex, this technological company that she apparently is on the run from, which is why she's hiding in Japan. And they kind of just ship them together. Literally the, his opening night, he stumbles across her. They flirt. He takes her to a secret bar and then they sleep together and then something happens and they break up over the next few months. But they still kind of stay in contact in some yeah. fashion. And she's this, you know, wonder, uh, wonder kind of hacker who really is into ancient tech, which is why they find some old real, uh, real to real stuff. And she's able to like process it and find the data on it, which is really cool. But they don't give her a lot of agency other than I need to run away. And the obvious kind of like face heel turn that she suddenly does, but she doesn't really do, but she does that. They immediately then get her out of. It's a weird moment where she's like, I'm going to face my past and I'm going to own up to it. And then they're immediately like, okay, but you're going to spy on your friends for us. And she's like, okay. 
And then she immediately goes to her friends and says, Hey, this is what happened. They want me to spy on you. I'm not going to do that. Let's go find Hiroshi. Yeah. And so there's, I, I just, but she also offers to spy on them for Monarch as well at one point, because she wants to just like go home or like go back to Tokyo. Like her character motivations are just so scattered. Yeah. Early on in the show, she's just like the, I'm not supposed to be here guy from clerks. Like she's like, I'm not even <laughs> supposed to be here. Like, why are you dragging me along on this adventure? I don't yeah. want to be here. And like, that's fine enough motivation because she's just angry. She's like, I just want to sit in my apartment in Tokyo and hack. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're dragging me out in, into these things. And then the show just goes, Oh, and by the way, she works for the people who are going to build Mecha Godzilla. And that's yeah. why she's on the run because she did a, a data breach for on them. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's really, that's really the story. The founder of Monarch Hiroshi is a, is a bad person. And they're kind of like always trying to hunt and find him. And then Lee and then elderly wants to close all the portals of the wormholes. And there's it, like you said, it's kind of like, he, is he a bad guy? Suddenly he's like, no, he's actually not a bad guy. We all know he's not a bad guy, but we're not going to explain it well enough for you to understand that he's not a bad guy. Yeah. But I will say another thing that I actually really did love about this is I, I really, I'm impressed that Apple took a hit to the quarterly profits to fund those fight scenes with the monsters because God damn, those look like they show movie quality fight scenes. They, they put money into the <laughs> VFX. Yes, definitely. Like, wow. So we've got to get to our break here, but I, there, there's one thing I, I want to get to the, the hollow earth thing is I'm fine with. Yeah. The time distillation breaks this fucking universe. <laughs> yup. Because what the hell happened in Kong or Godzilla versus Kong? We have the fight on the ship. Yeah. And then we have the fight. How does it? So it goes Godzilla wins the first fight. Kong wins the second fight. Godzilla wins the final fight. What's the second fight again? Is that the one where he gets the axe? Uh, Maybe. I honestly, I, I love those movies, but I can only watch them once because they hurt my head <laughs> so much. So. In any case, at some point in that movie, they go into the hollow earth, they go through the portal and they end up in the hollow earth. And there's really cool visuals where like they, they can like f- just easily flip around. Cause like gravity is weird mm-hmm. and it, it it's a great scene. You see a baby Godzilla and Kong finds like his ancestral home where he like decides he's going to sit on a throne and he's like, I'm going to be King. I'm King Kong. Ha ha ha. He just chills there for like two or three hours. Yep. So are they telling us that at some point in Godzilla versus Kong, there's like a week difference in time or like maybe even longer. And Millie Bobby Brown and her group of people and the, the Eternals and the kid from Hunt for the Wilder People and Deadpool 2, like they're just on this train for however long while they're hanging out for a couple of hours in the, the Hollow Earth. But they're taking days, weeks, months to get from their Underground Railroad to Japan or China. Like there, that makes no sense. And then like, I I can accept that Godzilla can blast an atomic hole into the hollow earth. Right. From the middle of Beijing. I can accept that in the context of this movie. Oh yeah. But the time distillation makes no sense. (laughs) How does that work when, so like, did Godzilla just spend like three days blasting a hole into the middle earth? 
Middle Earth, Hollow Earth. Like where where does the time distillation happen? And obviously they're also setting up Kurt Russell showing up in Godzilla X Kong. I feel like that has to be a thing. Oh, yeah. So my thing about that is that I find really funny is that now you're pointing that out. So they establish that if you fall through one of the little ripples, you kind of have to fall after a Titan because if you go through yourself, you like you explode. But there's like a whipple rake with a Titan going past that thing. So that's where they that's where Lee Shaw disappears as they drop the thing into the earth. He's he ends up down there. It's essentially like a radiation. uh, Yeah. Drift like you're you're drifting behind them. Yeah, and the reason why Kiko survives, which by the way, badass, that like Kiko's like it's only been like fifty-seven days, and she looks awesome, and she's apparently a skilled hunter with a, a whole camp set she's up. Become, she's become a rebooted Laura Croft. Yeah, exactly. She's she predator now. <laughs> <laughs> but so they establish that. Then how the hell does the atomic blast work? Because does it makes the whole. So can people now just straight up travel through there if they just crawl down the hole? Why not? I don't know. Maybe it'll close up because Godzilla. I, I don't know. And all right. I, I want to say is I want to say is the nerdstalgic podcast or maybe it was Hops Geek. Um, one of them had that shot of Godzilla coming through the the curtain or whatever uh, coming in through the portal. Badass. And they were like, oh, man, like such a cool shot. Honestly, for me. I thought he was going to go, honey, I'm home. Like <laughs> Earl Sinclair from dinosaurs. Like just the way he came through that door. I was like, bum, 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 bam, 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 bam. not the mama, all that jazz. Like I, I'm, I just, I got so disillusioned with this show by, by that point. I just, I could not, I could not engage with like their epic moments. It just all became hilarious to me and stupid. Uh, so I, I, I'm starting to sense that in the talking smack rating that this might be a pass for you. It's definitely a pass for me, unless you are extraordinarily invested in these movies, because I feel like there, there has to be something leading into Godzilla X Kong, or maybe they're doing a sequel where they, they're going to start building Mecha Godzilla. But the hook of the end of this season is that Kate may Kiko is now with them. And Leland was left behind. Kurt Russell was left behind. But it's been a two years since they fell into the portal and now they're on the verge of creating Mecha Godzilla yep. for Godzilla King of the Monsters. And like, okay, cool, but it, it I've seen the movies. I don't <laughs> care about this. I feel it's a must see because I was invested enough in the past storytelling, the founding of Monarch, and the appearances of the of the monsters and the invested in the fight scenes of them i i really enjoyed it i i need this next season if they're going to just basically skip past the past and stick with these the present future people you got to bring back kurt russell and you got to give me something to work with because the the current legacy of monsters is that her, apparently hiroshi and his children are kind of monsters <laughs> <laughs> the legacy of monsters is that humanity is bad <gasps> no <laughs> and soil and green is people oh <laughs> I, I mean I, I applaud anyone who found something to enjoy out of this show I got bored uh, with episodes like five or no like episodes four to eight were just boring to me and then nine and ten kind of brought me back a little bit but the minute they revealed that Lee was just 
caught in a time distillation by being stuck in the the hollow earth for a couple of days, like 10 days for him and 25 years in, in the real world. Like that's not interesting. That's been done. Yeah. And I, I, that portion I did not like because what they basically say is, Oh yeah, you're back. We're going to kind of study you. We're putting you in a retirement community. And they literally cut to him. Like, like this badass soldier guy being put in a retirement community. He literally just is sitting there. The, you know, the young, not captain America popping sitting pills. there popping pills. And then it cuts to him as an old man about to pop pills, but G day happens. And it's like, so you're just going to skip 30 something years. You're not going to tell us like he tried to escape a few times. He just gave up. You you don't try to reclaim your life. You don't try to father Hiroshi who at that point, Hiroshi should have only been like 25 because Hiroshi in that van before the event happened, it was 1962. He's like he eight looks, or nine. Maybe he looks, yeah, maybe eight or nine and they jumped 20 years in the future. So he's almost 30. You can't yeah, try to reclaim something. Yeah. No, no, Okay. Uh, anyway, we're going to hear from Justin Henson at the movie wire. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the Peacock exclusive Ted, which Peacock, not a sponsor. Don't want them. Fuck you. <laughs> but we'll take your money. <laughs> He's on the run from the law, falsely accused of murdering his wait. Oh, got my scripts mixed up here. Uh, here we go. This makes more sense. The Movie Wire Podcast with host Justin Henson. Hear Justin's movie verdict wherever you listen to podcasts. Tune in to The Movie Wire today. And we are back. Uh, I Again, I'm Josh Scar, hosting Talking Smack, superheroes, movies, animation, comics. I've never done this before. We're going back old school where we're kind of splitting into segments. And uh, I just, I didn't know how to come back from it. It's been so long since we've done a split segment. But Alex. What are we talking about? We're going to talk about Peacock's newest offering, this delicious steaming pile of sitcom that has been presented to us by the great Seth MacFarlane. And as you know, I've been practicing my ventriloquism so that I can properly do a TED voice. So how's this? I'm from Boston. <laughs> Is that good? <laughs> no, this show might, if, if this show was released like five years ago, it might revitalize the Boston accent. <laughs> <laughs> that happened after uh the departed oh my god yeah all i could think about is like how very boston everyone is on this series all i could hear is from the first ted where one of the random uh, monologues that or bits or whatever that ted does is he's talking about how boston girls don't orgasm great and then he starts <laughs> doing the orgasm in boston accent that's all i could hear guys i'm here to talk about peacocks alex yes what the hell man I told you to forewarn me before you let the Justin AI out of the box. No, I got a media board full of Justin sounds and I'm going with it. <laughs> <laughs> so guys, let's talk about peacocks. So what's going on? I heard a gist. You, uh, your, your Boston accent needs work there. AI Justin <laughs> it, peacocks. <laughs> peacocks. Alex needs to work on it. I'm working on it. <laughs> I'm editing the code as we speak. Wait, hold on. No, I'm pretty sure there's video here. So unless you've created a really realistic AI and just extraordinarily handsome, I think this is the real Justin that's here now, Alex. Oh, damn. He got out of the sack. <laughs> <laughs> we got to be careful on the editing here. We're talking about peacocks and sacks. So I hear they're not mutually exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> so... A few years back, Seth MacFarlane struck a deal with Peacock. The first production out from him is Ted, a seven-episode sitcom event prequel 
to the hit movie and less hit second a sequel. And from the first five minutes of the show, all I could think of was, dear God, are they also Boston Roman Catholic? And they confirm it. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm pretty sure that's all they allow in Boston is Roman Catholic. <laughs> oh, I, I don't even know how to review a sitcom, man. Does it, do you, one of you guys have an, have an idea? Well, I just think the way to rev- go about this one is let's start from the root of it. So what I really did appreciate about this is that they didn't give us a lot of that fluff backstory of the origin of Ted or any of that. They kind of just jump right in to the relationship piece, the family piece, the stuff that we know that everybody really cares about. So there, there could be some debate on a prequel set. Where did Ted really come from? And just focus on that. But we just dr- jump into this family relationship and the comedy just hits the ground running. And that's what I really did appreciate about how it set the foundation of what to expect in episode one. I haven't seen the sequel to Ted. I thought the first one was okay. I'm not a big fan of raunchy stoner comedies. Stoner comedies just aren't for me. Like there are a handful that I, I really enjoy, but for the most part, I just, I don't care about stories about slackers who smoke a bunch of pot. And that's hilarious. In this case, I, I, I came into the show just like wanting something to watch. And I have a, a free trial of Peacock, Peacock that's uh, <laughs> about to run out. And so I was like, all right, Ted launched. Let's see if like the first episode is any good. And then I saw it's like all seven episodes. So I'm like, okay, I have something to watch for the next few hours, <laughs> um, which like the first episode is nearly an hour long. And I was like, dear God, I hope this isn't the whole show, which I think most episodes are around 35 minutes of content. And then you have your credits and everything. But it, this is very much a show of Seth MacFarlane hanging out with his buddies. Mm-hmm. Because every single person in this show, as far as like the main cast, has had a role in something else, except maybe young John, young Marky Mark. I don't know if he's been in anything else with Seth MacFarlane. One thing I do appreciate about the show is that they went out of their way to make sure we know how much young John is a loser and like how <laughs> he just is so naive to the world because of his relationship with Ted. And I think that plays really well, especially going into the finale. The first few episodes with the bully storyline, I'm like, eh, I could take or leave it, especially with the way that storyline ends. It seems a little counterproductive to how the, the show presents John. But the the sitcom, the sitcominess of it is really good because you have the whole idea of him and Ted basically playing a surrogate dad to the bully. And by the end of it, they're like, Oh man, I hope you did really well on his test. Like, Oh, come here, kid. We're, we're, <laughs> we're real proud of you. I thought that was really good. And that was like very good sitcom stuff, but then the kid just disappears and it's like, shouldn't he have a friend now? The bully thing threw me off because like two or three episodes later, they introduce a random other kid making fake IDs. And I thought that was the bully wearing just glasses but apparently it's a completely different actor the one thing that i really do wonder is ted's i love you button his little i love you is tara strong did they just keep that from the first movie or does she do it live every time (laughs) 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 like how much is she earning per button push there that's what i want to (laughs) know well even when we get to that scene where he's in the church where he's arguing with the pastor of the Jesus episode where he presents himself as Jesus. That's one of the most classic scenes where 
you actually, me, I was like, he's got a good point. And then even the preacher just kind of says, dude, can I get on with the sermon? Right when he presses that button of, I love you. I'm like, I'm sold. Ted's Jesus. <laughs> then later on, when they're doing dinner at Grace at the same episode, he's just responding to everything. <laughs> like, I, dear Jesus, yes. <laughs> That was a really good Christmas episode. Like that that's not Ted Lasso Christmas episode like all timiness, but I think in terms of like a comedy Christmas episode, I think that was a really good bit. And then by the end of it where <laughs> they he decides that like oh or someone remembers that like oh didn't Jesus die on the cross? He's like, "Oh, well fuck that. Maybe I'm Buddha." <laughs> I I will say I think the episodes go on a bit long because he doesn't have to cut it down for, you know, the 24 minutes plus commercials. It is, it is streaming. You can basically, from what I understand, streaming is basically told you need at least 30 minutes and don't go over like an hour for something. that's not like a drama. And some of the bits do go a little long, especially when Maddie played by Scott Grimes, who is the war, uh, the Vietnam veteran father is, has a very thankless uh, task basically he has to be the stick in the mud who has to be slightly racist who has to be all this crap because of course it's you know it's the early 90s and when he and blair they're his niece who lives with them while going to college whenever they would start to butt heads those were always about 90 seconds too long it's like yes i get it politics were different in the early 90s you're doing kind of like an archie bunker kind of style shit but i but Maddie's not being funny. Maddie is very much. He is just there for to get like to be got like three or four times in politics in politic discussions and have like one good zinger back. of get got you. You're also a racist kind of thing. You know, like I did find it funny. The first episode, they're going on and on and on. And all of a sudden out of nowhere, he's like, well, you're racist, too, because you you when you played with Barbies, your black Barbie doll would be, always be the one you do something on first because you want to see if it was look good on your white Barbie doll. That made me laugh because I was like, but she was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's actually a really good point on something that I was not expecting from this show, which is the messaging, because it's a show set in the 90s. So I'm I'm going into it. I, I've seen the promo where like they're shoplifting a Sega Genesis and I'm like, oh, God, it's, it's just going to be nostalgia bait with some stoner jokes. And oh, a teddy bear said dick and fart and quap. Like, mm-hmm. OK, great. Um, but the. The idea of putting in some modern messaging into this show was really quite amazing when in the Christmas episode, when it's revealed that the uh, cousin I'm forgetting her name is Sarah. Oh, yes, Sarah. Yes, yes, yes. Sarah's uh, Sarah is Blair's girlfriend. Okay. Um, Yeah. So Sarah and Blair, they're they're a couple and it. there's a really great moment with the mom where she's just like unable to process this idea that her niece slash surrogate daughter is at the very least bisexual, which even she says in the show that she's fluid. She she's essentially saying she's pansexual without saying pan, uh, which I, I think is great. And they, they throw a, a, a big to do about how Maddie, the dad is not going to, accept this because of how conservative his viewpoints are. And that entire episode is built around this conflict. And I, I, I admittedly, I was eight years old in the time frame of this show happening. 
1993, whenever. So I don't know what the gender, the, the LGBTQ conversation was. So like throwing modern terminologies, at least as far as I'm aware, into a show set in 1993, where she's talking about fluidity and putting it in really easy to understand terms. I thought it was really, it was something that Seth MacFarlane did not have to do. And if anyone actually watches the show that is conservative, I cannot wait for the shit storm <laughs> that they're going to try and create about woke culture and all this other stuff and try to cancel Seth MacFarlane. Like the dude's been doing this forever and yeah. he has made his politics known for a long time. And I, I just applaud the fact that he, uh, he put these things in specifically like each episode has a moment where Maddie is going off on a pretty stereotypical conservative rant and everyone's just like, no, that's dumb. That makes no sense. Yeah. And they present it in a way that's like, yeah, they're right. And Maddie is just being an ignorant tool. And I, I can't praise the idea of what they did with those messages in this show about a teddy bear who smokes pot enough. <laughs> what I really appreciate, I love we're talking about this uh, specific episode is we take a lot of those topics that they bring in and you made a great point and I agree with you 110% is I'm not a huge fan of the stoner comedy. I'm not, it doesn't entertain me. I don't think it's funny. The first Ted I liked a little bit better than the second one. The second one just had too much, but the balance this has between messaging humor and almost satisfying both the emotional elements of messaging and laughter this episode is a prime example of that proper balance because it, to me, when you have Maddie go out to the car and it's a great performance by uh, Grimes where he goes, I came from a different time where it doesn't justify anything, but at the same time, it's the acknowledgement of him trying to open up that dialogue and attempt for the sake of family. And when we take it back to the eighties, nineties, I think they didn't a a brilliant job having that subtle conversation because it's not like today. This is kind of how the conversation was back then where it was addressed, but it wasn't addressed. It was subtly addressed. It was brought up, but it wasn't a heavy handed topic that we have today. And I think the way that Seth MacFarlane actually addresses that is absolutely brilliant where he really, it's more of a conversation starter than anything. And we have all these reasons why to justify actions or behaviors. And it, he doesn't solve any problems. He doesn't really bring any conclusions. It just kind of lays there and it leaves it up to the audience to see what the characters are going to do next or what the conversation piece is going to be. So I think when it comes to that episode, it's one of my favorite episodes because I think to me, I got a little emotional to it because it's the acknowledgement piece of change. I think that's actually very true. And I, I believe you're both are very, very right about it. And I, I do love how nuanced it could be it just for me, it was just some of them went on a little long. The other thing that I found really bizarre and awesome is, is mom, the mom character, Susan um, played by Alana Yubak, which I didn't quite understand what they were doing with her character at first, because she always talks very slow. She seems like a little, um, not dim, but like a little like slow on the uptake and stuff like that. But she is so encouraging to the other characters. And I love that the, the, the porno episode, Ted and uh, John 
want to get a porno. They eventually basically make some fake IDs and get some. And then what happens is that, of course, the porno gets stuck in the VHS player because, you know, it's 90s. You only have one VHS player. It's in the living room. I'm sorry, Alex. It's a VCR. Yeah. I'm sorry. VCR. Sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> if we're doing Boston, it's VCR. VCR. She, they get home. She's watching it. As she turns on the TV, she thinks it's her husband's. <laughs> and she goes and talks to Blair. And she's saying things like, like, you know, they were doing some things. Does does does, does he want me with another woman? I'll choke another woman if that's what he wants. <laughs> I'm just like laughing my ass off so hard <laughs> about that. And then later on, later on, you know, um, I, there's an episode where they're trying to do fix um maddie and susan's relationship and turns out she had been studying to be a teacher but then she became a mom which happens to you know many women is that you know like you had your own career path all of a sudden your mom especially in the 70s or 90s it, that your path took a different play uh your path took a different turn i like they did do the stereotypical thing of she's the substitute teacher for john's class they did not do that john was pissed off about it john was the one who suggested it and when she gets there, she solves a problem that's kind of going on with one of the students there. She is the one who's like, yeah, that was nice and all, but I actually really like being at home. I like taking care of everybody. I like my church stuff. I like taking care of the kids. I like, apparently she lets in the mailman every day to use the bathroom. <laughs> they actually provided some nuance to her character beyond this, the normal sitcom bullshit of like, Oh, she's going to teach and John's going to be, she's going to be hard on John or she's going to be nice to him. And he's going to be pissed off because he's a stoner. No, they did enough with it that they made it interesting. And I will say the comedic effect of her watching the porn and just holding on her face. Well, like she's like digesting everything that's happening while you hear the sound effects. Couple that with that same with the Christmas episode where she walks in on Blair and Susan making out and then she like stares at it for like too long, slowly shuts the door ever so close, but then opens it up a little bit like, like, are you processing this? Are you turned on by this? What is going on in your brain? <laughs> this poor woman. <laughs> She has probably had in this household in the seven episodes of sexual <laughs> exploitation than her entire life. <laughs> so, but, and the problem, like we talk about the VCR piece, this is where it goes kind of sitcom-y because as teenage, a teenager growing up in the 80s, 90s, there's no way I would pop a porno in the living room. Hell no. Like, I would be unplugging that VCR and taking it up to my room. They obviously have a TV mm-hmm. there. So it was kind of a setup for me on that one. Um, that one, yeah. you kind of saw what was going to happen. You have the main living room. The tape gets stuck, which is a teenager's worst nightmare is uh, being caught with your porn. And, Don't even shut the blinds, mind you. <laughs> right. And it's in, during the day. <laughs> it's like, what if the mailman came? Yeah. Is he still going to use the bathroom, walk through the door? <laughs> But I, I like the general topic of mm-hmm. going to the video store. We've all been there. If you say you haven't, you're a liar. <laughs> of any teenager that walked to the video store, saw those curtains, saw those doors, and just stare at it. Oh, yeah. And I love how they address this, too, where it's almost like a fantasy of wonder. And mm-hmm. the, the scene where they come out with, like, 12 porn tapes, mm-hmm. and that's like... <laughs> 
You're lucky to get one, but you have like 12 of them. That executes the teenage fantasy right there. Nothing brings a smile to a kid, like a teenager's face when you have that taboo topic of somebody bringing out 12 porn videos from the video store that you can't get. Yeah, and that that episode also has one of my favorite gags, which is that they have to go replace it. They So they sneak into the school after hours, but because there's a basketball game going on, there's no problem there. And they pretend they decide to wear jerseys to pretend they're on the basketball team. So of course someone gets injured. They point at Ted and they're like, Hey Ted, Bennett, you got to get in here. And then they cut to him walking out to cheers. Apparently he won the game for them as a trophy. And he just chucks in the trash and says like something like Lionel, that's not so fucking hard. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know how the fuck the Teddy bear won the game. <laughs> that, that was a great gag. That one got a big laugh out of me. <laughs> I, one of the things this show does so well, which Seth MacFarlane, does, he gets a lot of shit because of the family guy trope of like, you remember that time, blah, blah, blah. This, the dialogue in this show is so good. Like, oh, I'm pulling. I, I love a joke that punctuates itself. And so like there's the episode, the Halloween episode, which I know Justin is a big fan of where Ted's inebriated. And uh, at some point he's trying not to drive or he's trying to drive. And uh, Blair's like, you you can't they they have a back and forth he's just kind of like he gives in she's driving and they start having a conversation and he punctuates the joke after they have all this this conversation and he's just like oh yeah it's a good thing i'm not driving because i am drunk (laughs) like i it's i i love those kind of self-awareness joke punctuations and this show is just littered with them and it it all works really well for me yeah one of the things i love most is um there's this offhanded thing where they're talking about movies and they mentioned Jurassic park and they have real dinosaurs in Jurassic park. <laughs> he did jaws. He did ET and he got rewarded with real dinosaurs. I have a, a significantly much younger brother than me. And I remember one time he was trying to talk to me about the Indiana Jones franchise. So we were just talking about it and it was, I don't know, maybe six years ago. And he mentioned, Oh yeah. Like in the fourth one, I was like, they never made a fourth one. He's like, no, there's a fourth. <laughs> one. I'm like, no, nah, I would have seen it, man. And so he was probably eight or nine. And I kept denying that there was a fourth one so long. He got so upset that my wife was like, knock it off. (laughs) And that is the kind of the whole like, oh, yeah, like you said, Jaws, E.T. got real dinosaurs. That was the kind of thing I would I would stick to. (laughs) Like, no, they have real dinosaurs, dude. That's why it looks so good. (laughs) Well, Josh mentioned the Halloween episode. And I am a huge fan of that one because it made me laugh out loud because it caught me off guard. But what I liked about that a particular episode is I didn't see it coming because it does such a great job because I was specifically looking on how that professor was going to get with Blair with Ted there. And mm-hmm. I'm looking on different outs. I'm like, how is this going to be pulled off? Is Ted right? Um, or is Ted going to be like shoved in a closet? And then the guy just comes out in a damn teddy bear outfit. I'm like, <laughs> what in the actual fuck is going on? <laughs> and he says, Ted, I want you. Like, <laughs> So, so good. One of the things that I that had been annoying, aggravating me is that they explained away in the first Ted movie. Oh, yeah. Ted came to life on a wishing star. He had a brief moment of fame. And everybody's just like, hey, listen, he's alive. Yeah. It had been like 35 ish years since, you know, 85 or whatever. It would totally make sense that people will kind of be over it. He exists. But this is 92, 93 or something like that. And I was starting to get agitated that people were like not recognizing him still or, hey, there's Ted. And that there's no novelty to him being alive other than, you know, the family just being a teddy bear. 
but that episode redeemed it because he went to the party and everyone's like, oh my God, I've always wanted to like take a, do a shot with the teddy bear. Oh my God, I've always wanted to do coke with you. <laughs> <laughs> and then it caps it off with the with the professor not having any fucking interest in Blair at all. No, he wants to do all the stuff with that. <laughs> <laughs> the costume design was brilliant too. It was just... <laughs> It hit all the right notes when it comes to uh, timing on it. Speaking of the costume design, one thing that, again, they nailed with the the timeliness of the show being set in like 1993, Ted's going t- around at the, the Halloween party as an Ewok and yep. no one knows who the hell or what the <laughs> hell he is, which in 1993 is dead on. Oh, you're Lawrence of Arabia. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Something else that I will say that this show does extremely well is it came out from um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which is called Bumping the Lamp. Um, there's a scene in Roger Rabbit where Eddie grabs him. And because, of course, Roger's not there, he swings around and like hits a lamp or something like that. And so they're stuck with, do we reshoot or do we put it into it? And they keep, decided to animate it in. Keep it. You bump the lamp. He's a physical object. Roger should hit the lamp. He that's the way the position is. That's the way it should go. And that's what makes that movie so amazing is, yeah, he interacts with the world and they make Ted freaking interact with the world. His shadow is always there. He has weight to him when he gets picked up and thrown <laughs> or slammed against the wall. It's fantastic. And they remember like one of my favorite random jokes is. Blair's trying to teach them about periods and how it actually works. And Ted's just making all these random offhanded comments. Like, so like in February, is it shorter than the other months? And Blair goes, I want to, do you want to get fucking wet? <laughs> and they have like him startle the chair, move a little bit of him being shocked. Those are just these little details that they actually make it seem like he's living there in the classroom scenes. When Ted is making quips and remarks, the other students, I was in the background glance towards his chair or start chuckling and looking that direction. They actually, versus many sitcoms, you know, or other stuff is the extras in the background ain't doing shit. They're drinking coffee, ignoring people screaming, fighting in front of them. No, they have everything around them reacting to what's happening. And Seth MacFarlane, fantastic. I love that you brought up the uh, set interactions because that was, you're 100% right. Especially when he dives into the big bin of wieners and says, I'm king of the wieners or whatever. (laughs) But if you look, that is a show-off scene where you have, yeah, you bump the lamp, you have the shadows, but then you have scenes like that that really show off what they're trying to do and having that character in full character form of interacting with everybody. So, and you talk about the extras, and you're 100% right, is instead of just having this scene, and this is smart direction, instead of just having that scene of people placed as props in the background, you have that full interaction and it's super engaging because you actually believe it. Ted is by the end of the seventh episode, you just treat him like a normal character. It's almost like you forget he's a teddy bear. Yeah. He's just, he's, he's just one of the cast members and it's just an incredible directed uh, piece. And honestly, I'm kind of glad they didn't do a third movie because this actually works. And Oh yeah. What I really appreciate about it, I think we talked, I brought it up in our Discord, is there's no set timing to this. There's no like, this is exactly 33 minutes. This is exactly 38 minutes. 
the shows go on at, typically at random times because it's whatever the story requires for that episode, which I really do appreciate because I've never been a fan of set time. This has to be past the 90 minute mark and you're done. So I really did appreciate that every episode is going to have its own set of rules when it comes to the comedy, when it comes to the story, and when it comes to the runtime, it takes its time to tell the story and doesn't take the runtime into consideration. Yeah. Speaking of the final episode, the punchline for that episode broke me. Not because it was so funny, not because it was just the the funniest thing in the world. Yeah. It broke me because it just it it triggered a childhood memory that lingers with me. I've told this story before, but it broke me in the sense of like, it doesn't work in the timeline of the show and <laughs> you're bringing back a memory that I hate. <laughs> so the final episode is about John trying to lose his virginity and it, it, it just so happens to be prom night and whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, immediately the episode starts off with a whole bunch of like gross comedy that I'm not a fan of anyway. And so I'm, I'm kind of disenchanted with the episode, but then it redeems itself with the whole, uh, whole new worlding stuff. And like there, <laughs> some really funny stuff in that one. Wait, Ted, uh, not Ted. Sorry. You, you didn't find the condom guy there who went through the types of condoms. <laughs> no, for this I, type I, of girl. I found, that's not the punchline of the episode. I, I think like once you get past the, the opening portion of it, where the two kids are like, Oh yeah, we had sex in the, the computer room yesterday. Just so we weren't the last virgins in school. Like once we got past that sequence, I was all in for the episode. Like the, okay. the rest of that was really good until the punchline of the episode which I'm getting to. So John meets this girl. They, they go on a date. They end up getting uh, concussed because Ted doesn't want to run over a squirrel and they go to prom. And at the end of the episode, the girl says, Hey, let's go have sex at my house. Yeah. They're about to get into it when all of a sudden her TV magically turns on. It was already on. They have background noise going and the TV gets interrupted with the OJ Simpson highway chase. <laughs> And immediately my immersion is broken because one that happened on a weekday Two, it happened at like 1 PM Pacific time. I know this because I came home from school that day to watch X-Men, the animated series (laughs) on syndication on Fox kids and the OJ Simpson chase was on. And I was, I am fucking pissed. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I noticed that too i'm like okay you have on the tv it's like completely light out 7 p.m on a saturday for them to have prom but the oj simpson chase is happening midday in the west coast on a day that it's not actually happening no sorry seth mcfarland no <laughs> get a better joke <laughs> Get a better punchline, I should say. <clears throat> like I, I do, and I also do not buy a high schooler is that invested in the O.J. Simpson trial. But he was Murdoch. <laughs> Which, like, yeah, we we acknowledge that she is a weird uh, cinephile because she likes Flash Gordon and she's aware of O.J. Simpson's acting roles in other movies. But that that moment just broke my immersion because I have this horrible childhood memory of oj simpson interrupting my tv time yeah, specifically she, x-men the animated series because i needed to know what happened to morph she got a pass <laughs> for me during that and i noticed the same thing but since she name dropped naked gun i'm like all right all's, all's forgiven so 
Well, I will, I will say that there were that episode had probably um, one of my other favorite jokes is they're trying to find somebody to uh, Johnny to have sex with, and Ted goes, "Well, instead of feeding the hungry, can she just fuck the desperate?" <laughs> <laughs> so stupid <laughs> and of course as you mentioned they're they're holding worlding by being on top of the car and the uh the er doctor's just like i've seen this so many times and then <laughs> that goddamn movie, movie <laughs> which had never come out immediately there's another group of character another group comes in dresses and Jasmine. <laughs> i don't even remember this being a thing when i was a, a i don't teenager. think it was i don't think it was i think it's just seth mcfarland making a joke <laughs> Like, don't remember ever driving down the road and seeing two people in costumes riding down the highway. But, you know, maybe I missed out. I don't know. Maybe that's why I had such an unlucky time in high school with women. I didn't hold new world. You weren't thinking outside the box. Right? God. <laughs> Bastards. But, uh, okay. I, I will clarify, Josh. This memory you have of the chase interrupting, according to what I'm reading right now, it started at 6:20 p.m. on the west coast which would have been 8 which would have been 9:20 p.m. on the east coast are you thinking of perhaps really? the trial verdict no cuz i remember the i remember the bronco what the hell happened that they were interrupting syndicated tv at 3 o'clock in the afternoon showing the chase i remember the chase during the day too so i mean the 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 footage is is shown during the day i mean yeah but yeah that's Real weird. Mm-hmm. We need talking smack fact checkers. Friday, June seventeenth, nineteen ninety four. Why was I still in school that day? <laughs> <laughs> the nineties were a wild time. It was. It was the verdict, February fourth, nineteen ninety seven. Huh? Why the hell were they showing the the Bronco chase then? Because they would have been leading up to it of everything that happened to it and the um, audience coming back, um, the uh, jury coming back and all that stuff. What? A- all right, Justin, go go ahead with your you were, you were trying to say something before Alex continued with his fact checking and breaking <laughs> everything down. Well, now we can just transition this into the OJ discussion. No, I'm just <laughs> all right, Alex, roll the clip for the the glove fitting. Let's go. Insert the South Park Chewbacca defense. <laughs> If a nine foot Wookiee lives on Endor, <laughs> it does not make sense. <laughs> well, what I what I liked about this episode is this one. We have a lot of nostalgic nods throughout the entire thing, which I liked. It it, it didn't feel forced; it felt natural to me. Um, but what I really enjoyed about this one is this one was a complete nod to just the old school rom coms. And oh, yeah. it's like the complete cliche rom-com with only Ted spin on it. And I really enjoy it. And I spoke to this in one of my last episodes is I'm a sucker for the money shot line of go get the girl or go get yeah. him or things like that. And this one really brilliantly places that in. And I remember just going, yes, because it was a feel good moment. Those are feel good pieces of it. And it's one of those that you take, it's a perfect ending to the the seventh episode where you really have this feeling where it just kind of sums it up with one sentence and you really want to root for this character, even though he's trying to be a dirty bird, but you really want these characters to win. And I really enjoyed that subtle nod to the rom-com feel. 
Yeah, definitely. I just, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. It was a little long in some places and I, I don't think that the parent drama is nearly as interesting as he wants it to be. Mm-hmm. Like the dinner, the scene where he takes her, uh, out to dinner that so way too long that that was very long and i think it was i think it was later in the season um the halloween episode that i think he finally found a groove that like he ted doesn't just need to be with john ted and blair are really good together almost better ted needs to be the glue for everything like it it needs to be a true ensemble It, it can't just be like here's the b plot with ted and john while the rest of the actual sitcom is happening with the rest of the family. Yeah. I think Ted could, Ted could be a really interesting show if McFarlane uses him to properly ensemble everything. Yeah. And, um, best part for me, the part I enjoyed most with, with Maddie is his Vietnam story (laughs) was so unexpected. (laughs) I was hoping somebody would bring this up. I am not spoiling it. (laughs) But the lead up to that, where he convinces Blair to go with him to the hospital (laughs) and Blair's trauma of having to be there for his colonoscopy when she's on the couch recounting it later was was fantastic. (laughs) That Vietnam story was (laughs) I was laughing. My wife was like, what are you what is going on? I'm like, you would not enjoy this humor, honey. (laughs) She watched a lot of it with me in passing. But she's just like, you can you can keep on. This is not for me. <laughs> well, I remember I was on my phone at one point uh, responding to a text and like I he- thought I heard something. And then that's the scene I had to rewind because I <laughs> knew I heard it. But like, I got to make sure it's one of those again. What in the actual fuck moments where you, why would you put that in? But it's absolutely hilarious. And how they tried to spin it into a sweet story. Come on. <laughs> at the end of the day. Well, I can't. Alex isn't going to spoil it. I'm not going to. But you did that over there. So we didn't have to. Here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go down the row. Um, for me, this is a must see. What do you think, Justin? 100% must see. So uh, great balance. I mean, if you weren't a fan of the movies, you'll it, it's hard not to enjoy this this show. There's something for everybody in it. So it's a definite must see for me. I agree. It's a must see. It's it's Alf with a stoner teddy bear. <laughs> love it i'm 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 here for it like as much as i don't like stoner comedies and raunchy comedies to a a, a lesser extent it's it's fun and i think the dialogue is really well done like this is seth mcfarlane having fun doing a sitcom and like i can totally understand someone being like i don't want to watch family guy with a teddy bear like it's not it's this is seth mcfarlane getting to do something creative and he does it really well oh yeah all right, well, let's get out of here. Justin, um, you've got a few things to plug now instead of just the movie wire. So let everyone know where they can find you and where they, excuse me, and where they can hear you. Yeah, you can find me again at the movie wire. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, you can follow me on Twitter, all the socials at movie wire show. And we just launched on January 2nd, a brand new show with Antonio over the cult worthy podcast called Back to the Balcony, where we cover movies covered by Siskel and Ebert. We get into movie discussions and we critique the critics. All right, Alex, do you want to plug our discord? Our discord is fantastic. You can find Lewis there. You can find Matt there. You can find me there. If you at me, you can find Josh there once in a while, a wild Justin will also appear where we just talk superheroes, movies, animation, comics, and so much, much more. And Peacock. 
Peacock. Quack. Uh, you can also find Leo Allen in a lot of Star Trek discussion, but you can also <laughs> find us on all of our social medias at Talking Smack Pod. Uh, we are on Blue Sky, Instagram, Threads, Hive Social, Post News, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, and of course Lonnie's website. Please email us your thoughts, questions, reviews, comments, concerns, reviews of things we've watched, reviews of things we should watch, suggestions of things we should watch at tsmackpod at gmail.com. Thank you to Leo Allen for our musical themes. Alex, who's doing the remix? Seth MacFarlane himself, he does it all. Thank you to Beppo for our original avatars, Retro Ale Studios for our Ricky avatar. Please like, subscribe, rate, review on your podcatcher of choice. Those reviews go a long way. Most importantly, thank you, Justin, for showing up. Alex, always, as always, thanks for doing the edit and showing up. Everyone, thank you so much for listening, and take care. And watch Star Trek. Or Ted.